We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 this morning as we continue in the book of Philippians. When I was a freshman in college, one afternoon I walked into my dorm room and the dorm room was empty. Nobody else was there, but my roommate, Nathan, had left his music on. And uh, this was, of course, back before we had iPhones that we played all of our music on. So he had a stereo. I had a stereo. So he had his CD playing with his music and he had left the room. He wasn't there. So I did what I thought was reasonable. I walked across the room. I turned off his music and then I put in my own music and turned my music on and proceeded to do whatever it was I needed to do that afternoon. But only maybe 10 minutes after I turned my music on, Nathan walked back into the room and he said, did you turn off my music? And I said, well, yeah, you weren't here. I have that right. Fair game. You were gone. And he said, well, I was just across the hall. I was talking to a friend. I was still listening to that. And I said, well, you couldn't have still been listening to it. You were gone. So now we're listening to this. And he said, oh, are we? Nathan walked across the room and went over to his stereo and he turned it back on and turned it just a little louder than my music. And he stood there and looked at me. And I did the only reasonable thing at that point, which is I reached over to my stereo and I turned it a little louder than his. And he turned his a little louder than mine. And back and forth we went until within a matter of seconds, I'm certain that everybody on our hall was getting acquainted with our music because it was so loud. It was blaring and we were standing across the room in this sort of face off. Who's going to give first? And I finally got frustrated enough that I just, I, I hit my stereo, I turned off my music, I walked out of the room, I slammed the door as loud as I could, got out in the hall, and then I thought, now where am I going to go? As soon as I walked out in the hall, I felt deeply foolish. But I still didn't go back for maybe an hour or two to work things out. And he told me later, as soon as I left, he felt deeply foolish. And we began to wonder, what was it that happened to us in that moment? Why was it that in that moment, we were so eager and willing to fight about something that in the grand scheme of things was deeply insignificant? Who cares which music we're listening to? Why could neither of us yield? Because in that moment, both of us had a feeling that to yield was to sacrifice our honor. To yield was to sacrifice what we thought we deserved and give our honor to the other person. I have a right. I have a right to turn on my music if you're out of the room. He thought, I have a right to keep mine on because I'm coming right back. And both of us staked our position, drew a line in the sand right down the middle of that 10 by 6 foot box we lived in and said, I'll hold my ground. I'd like to say it's the last time I've acted that way. I'd like to say that I haven't felt like that or acted like that even as a 40-something grown-up with children and a wife. But the reality is it was neither the first time nor the last time that I had that feeling that I'm going to defend my honor at all other costs. And I'm going to say this this morning, you've done it too. 
I don't even know everybody in this room, but I can say with 100% accuracy that you have done it too. You have had moments in your life where somebody insulted you, where somebody diminished your honor, where you felt disrespected, where you felt that your rights were being taken away, and you said, no way, man. I'm going to defend it at all costs. Even if you just thought it in your mind and you clenched your fists, but you didn't actually hit anybody. You've done it. Because deeply ingrained in our hearts, we feel a need to look out for number one. It's part of our sin nature. So that from the moment we wake up in the morning to the time we go to bed at night, all of us are struggling with the thought about how can I defend my rights? How can I defend my honor? How can I make sure that I'm appreciated, that I am given what I deserve? We defend our rights. And I think as Americans in particular, we are very big on rights. We have a bill of rights, right? And don't get me wrong. I am deeply grateful for the bill of rights because that's the reason we're allowed to meet in this room this morning and worship Jesus Christ and freely assemble and say what we want to say. I'm grateful for our country's rights. Right, But on an interpersonal level, I think often what happens is we begin to believe that nothing matters more than defending my rights. And so if you say the wrong thing, if you type the wrong thing on social media, if you send an email that raises that sense that I need to defend myself, if you don't listen to me, you don't appreciate me, you don't give me what I deserve. I will put the fists up and be ready to fight for my rights. Now, the problem is this, that as followers of Jesus Christ, that tendency that we all have to stand up for our own rights creates conflict and disunity at times in the body of Christ. That tendency that we have to stand up for our own rights can turn into something very dark and sinful. Because as the people of Jesus Christ, you and I are called to reflect the character of Jesus Christ. In fact, as the church of Jesus Christ, our mission as a church is to reflect and proclaim Jesus so that the world can know who Jesus is. They can understand his perfect, kind, loving character, right? So we are meant to lock arms as the people of Jesus Christ and go out into the world and say, this is who we reflect And in order to do that, we have to be united under Jesus Christ. And so the problem is, when I am constantly arguing with you about my rights and what I deserve and what I need from you, that undermines the mission. So when we get to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, Paul warns the Philippian church, your disunity threatens the mission. The Philippian church, you you saw this last week, the Philippian church was facing persecution and opposition from the outside, right? They were facing persecution and opposition from the government, from their culture, from their neighbors who did not appreciate the message of Jesus Christ. And so some of them were being put in jail. Some of them were having their property confiscated. Some of them were even being put to death. And so they have to stand firm in the face of suffering. But what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 2 is if you want to stand firm against the darkness that is outside, you got to deal with the darkness that's inside. And so what Paul is going to say as we walk through Philippians 2, 
1 through 11 this morning is this. Will you be willing to surrender your rights for the sake of the gospel? Will I be willing when I am confronted with a situation in my family, at my church, in my neighborhood, where I feel that my right to be right is threatened. Will I surrender that for the sake of the gospel? And what Paul is going to do in this passage is give us the most powerful example of surrender in all of the New Testament, in my opinion. And that is the example of Jesus Christ who came from as high as he could possibly be and humbled himself as low as he could possibly go for the sake of the mission of God. And then Paul will write this, you have the same attitude that the people of Jesus Christ are to be known as humble people, people willing to defer, people willing to surrender and consider others better than ourselves for the sake of the good news. He says, if you want to have an impact in your world, you reflect something different from what we see all around us. I don't have to even open up the news today to know that when I do, I will learn about people fighting and defending and arguing about their right to be right. That's what we see every single day. And Paul says the people of Jesus Christ are called to be something different. Unified under Jesus. That's Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Will we surrender our rights for the sake of the gospel? Look with me at Philippians 2. I'm going to start in verse 1. He says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. The first thing he says is this, unite under the gospel. Now I chose that preposition under on purpose, not unite around, although we might do that as well. But he says, you unite under the gospel. That is that everything you do and say toward one another needs to be driven by the reality that Jesus Christ died and Jesus Christ rose and your mission in life is to communicate to the world that all who trust in Jesus Christ can have eternal life. That's the great commission that we go out to all the nations so that men and women can know of Jesus. And he says, I want you to unite under that. So he says, look, if there is any, uh, any encouragement in Christ, in other words, do you take encouragement from what Jesus has done for you? Does that encourage you? Because it absolutely should. Jesus died for you. If there's any consolation of love, you say, man, I feel threatened. My rights and my privileges, I feel threatened by other people asserting their rights and their privileges and their needs. And he says, can you take consolation in that moment from the reality that God loved you so much that he gave Jesus Christ, he will never leave you. And is there any fellowship in the Spirit? If you know Jesus Christ this morning, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you and lives in your neighbor, and lives in the person sitting next to you, and the person across the room, and everybody in this room. And so Paul says, you have a fellowship. Remember that word koinonia? that you have a partnership together in the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you. He says, if you have that fellowship in the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, meaning does God demonstrate His affection and compassion toward you in Jesus Christ? If any of that's true, and Paul says, 
It is true, right? This should say since, as we read it in English. Since you have all of that, you dwell upon what Jesus has done. And he says, here's what you're now going to do. He says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And in other words, he says, every other consideration in your life is subordinate to the gospel. What I want to do with my life under the gospel, what I think you should do for me under the gospel, how I think my family ought to treat me under the gospel, what I think my church ought to do for me in terms of meeting the needs of my family underneath the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says you organize yourselves under the gospel so that you look at Jesus as a group and you walk toward Jesus Christ and you say he is at the center of our vision. Our Anderson campus, which was our first campus at Grace Bible Church, uh, hosts a preschool, Kingdom Kids. They meet there twice a week. And so when I come in and out of the office during the week, on a couple of days of the week, I'll see the preschoolers walking through the hallways. And one of the strategies that the teachers use with the preschools to keep them literally in line as they move through the hallways is the teacher will stand at the front of the line and they've got a rope, right? And so they they have this little rope that stretches from the teacher to the back of the line. And every kid has to hold on to the rope as they walk through the hallways from place to place, right? So if you are a three-year-old, you do not have a moment there in the hallway for your own self-expression, regarding where you think the class should go. Teacher says, now you hold, you hold on to that rope. You don't pull the rope this way. You don't let go of the rope. Oh, some of them do, but you're not supposed to let go of the rope and wander over here, wander over there, right? So they grab that rope and the teacher's in front. And as long as they're holding on to that rope, they get where they need to go. So they go from the classroom to the bathroom, to the playground, to the bathroom, Back to the classroom, to the bathroom. Back to the classroom. As they move throughout the hallways. What Paul says is Jesus is at the head of the rope line. Right? And so every single one of us, you just, you just line up behind him. You grab that rope. And wherever Jesus goes, we go. He says, you unify around Jesus and where he's headed. And Paul says, nothing would make me more joyful than knowing that you as the people of Jesus Christ are united under the gospel, that you say Jesus died and rose for us. So we have eternal life. So we want the world to know it. And the best way for the world to know it is that as we just sang, they see less of me and more of Jesus. I set aside my rights for the sake of the gospel and I unite around the gospel. And the way that we do that primarily in practical terms, is, is we're going to see this from verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. He says, secondly, you set aside your selfishness. In other words, our mission in life is to unite under Jesus Christ. 
So you have to set aside self-centeredness and self-seeking because what we are about is Jesus-centeredness and Jesus-seeking. And what that means is that in the body of Christ, there is Jesus as a primary concern and then there is everything else as a secondary concern, right? So if I disagree with you on some matter of secondary importance, whether that is which classes we need to host on Sunday morning or which constituencies we emphasize, whether that is what our political views may be, right? Whether that is some secondary theological point, whatever it is, Paul says you set aside your self-seeking and your self-interest for the sake of the other person. All too often the things we disagree about and that we draw lines about are very much about ourselves and not about Jesus, And Paul would even say, in your interpersonal interactions, he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, right? But with humility of mind, what do you do? You regard one another as more important than yourself. See, again, what Paul understood is that deeply rooted in us is the selfishness that comes from sin. It's in me, it's in you. It is so strongly rooted in there. And it plays out in our lives on a day-by-day basis. Now, you may be thinking, I'm really, I'm not, I'm not selfish. And you may be less selfish than somebody else. But where our selfishness comes to the forefront is when we feel that our rights are being threatened. Let me give you an illustration. About two weeks ago, I was driving my kids to school, and I got into the drop-off line by the middle school where my daughter attends. And uh, those who have not been in a line like this, basically the way it works is uh, you sit in your car behind a line of cars, and eventually you get around to a circular driveway area where you can pull up and you can let your kid out, right? So people are going through the line, they pull up, their kid gets out, then they move along and they turn onto the street. So we're sitting in this line this morning, and, and there's one car, about five or six cars ahead of me. So I'm right there about to get to the circle drive. There's one car up there that was there forever. I don't know if they were having their kid like vacuum the car before they got out or finish his homework. I don't know. They forever. So actually I was sitting there and I, I was, I, I was doing okay. I mean, I was internally feeling a little impatient, but I was very proud of myself that I didn't really say anything to the kids. In fact, one of the kids said, what is that person doing? And I, you know, I said something very spiritual. I mean, it was, it was, I said, you know, we can be patient like Jesus is patient. Why don't we pray right here in the car, right? We'll have a little worship service, you know? I mean, I was so patient. But the, the, then, then here's what happened. We're sitting there and this person is up there and I'm just, I'm waiting and I'm waiting my turn. And then the car behind me, pulled out of the line and then pulled back in right in front of me. And this little internal volcano just went off in my heart. How dare they? What in the world is that? Like what kind of person living in a civilized society does that? Right? So I'm, I'm just furious at this point. I mean, I just, I lose it, right? I'm like, what in the world? in the car, right? And so, so finally they go through the line, I go through the line, and I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not 
going to say that I, I was calmed by this point. I had a very strong urge to follow the car to wherever they were going and pull over and explain to them calmly why this was inappropriate, right? I just, I just, I didn't get it. Everything in me said, that's not, that's not right. I was in this position. You were in that position. And you took my position up there. And I pulled up next to the car because they were trying to turn left while I was trying to turn right. And so uh, I pulled up and I could see the driver trying not to make eye contact. You know, that, that feeling of like, I know what I've done. And so I looked over and I was going to give them just a, a deeply scolding look. And it was a, it was a 16-year-old girl. And uh, at that moment, it was like all of my anger for some reason dissipated because I envisioned the headlines like local pastor chases down 16-year-old girl because of traffic slight. And we drove along and I thought, what happened to me at that moment? Well, I became so intent on what was mine by right that I couldn't think straight. You've done it too. And Paul says, what I'm calling you to do as followers of Jesus Christ is he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but what? With humility of mind. Humility doesn't mean I walk around thinking I'm the worst person on the planet. That's not humility. Humility instead means I don't think about me much at all. He says, you regard one another as more important than yourselves. How does this play out in the body of Christ, in the church? Let me just give you a hypothetical scenario. Let's just say that this morning you were at your home and you're trying to get ready and you're trying to get your family ready. But let's just say that certain members of your family take longer to get ready than other members of your family. And so you begin to try to accelerate the process and quietly stew, you jingle your keys every couple of minutes, right? You finally get them out the door, and you get here, and you pull into the parking lot, and there is one spot next to the building. And you pull in this way, and somebody else pulls in this way. What do you do? I know, you pretend you don't see them, right? And you slide right into that spot. And then you come into the building, and you're hungry because you didn't have time to eat breakfast because you were rushing. And there's a bag of tacos. And, and somebody, probably, probably a youth group kid, takes the last one, right? And you're so angry and you're hungry. And then you walk in here and somebody takes your chair. And now there's not seats for all four of you together. And then Kenny gets up and he plays a song that sounds like it's for the college students and you hate it. <laughs> and at every single moment of the morning, you're thinking, are my needs met? Do I have what's coming to me? Are they thinking about my constituency, my family, my needs? And we bring that attitude in instead of saying, how can I facilitate the worship that other people want to bring before God? How can I be a servant? How can I defer? How can I reflect 
Jesus Christ. Paul says you do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. He says, set aside that selfishness for the sake of the gospel. And then he's going to go on and he's going to say this. What does it look like to set aside your selfishness? Well, you conform to the attitude of Christ. Verse five, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. You conformed the attitude of Jesus. Now I'm going to say this. Chapter two, verses five through 11 is a central passage in the book of Philippians and probably one of the most beautiful and powerful passages in all of the New Testament. I do not have time to do it justice. And even if I had three hours, I'd fall short. But here's what Paul says. He says, you want to know what it looks like to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Let me describe the attitude you're supposed to have. You have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Then he's going to go on and say, what, what attitude is that? He says, well, Jesus, who did what? He existed in the form of God. He says, Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Let me pause there for a minute. He says, Jesus existed in the form of God. Now, this is the Greek word morphe, morphe, which means form. But it's not, the idea is not simply that Jesus looked like God, Jesus appeared to be God. This word morphe has an idea that he had the appearance that reflects the reality beneath it. He shone with the glory of God in heaven because he is God. In fact, it says here in this passage, he had equality with God. Jesus Christ, prior to his incarnation on earth, shone with the glory of God. He was in the presence of the Father, experiencing worship from the angels, free from the presence of sinful people, and everything Jesus said, people did, angels did. He had absolute authority because he is equal to God. A couple of passages that highlight that for us in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 1. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. John 14, 9. He who has seen me has seen the Father. All right, so he says, He existed in the form of God, and yet he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, or quite literally, he didn't see it as something to use for his advantage. So Jesus has all of these privileges of deity. And just like any king, what you think Jesus would do is he would say, I've got this power. I'm going to use it for myself. But it says he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held onto, that status that he had in the presence of the Father. He says, I'm willing to set it aside. And it says, what did he do? He emptied himself. By emptied himself, this is, a, this, is this famous word, kanao in the Greek, from where we get this word kenosis or emptying. It doesn't mean Jesus stopped being God. It means, remember, what's been our main idea from Philippians? That we pour ourselves out for the sake of the gospel. That's what this is. Jesus poured himself out for you and me. How did he do it? It says, by taking the form of a servant or a doulos. A doulos is the Greek word. He says, he took the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men. So, so let, me, let me just visualize this for a minute. I borrowed this illustration from a friend of mine. I just want you to imagine, okay, just visually. I'm going to go up as far as I can without injuring myself today. All right? Jesus is in the highest place 
in the universe. Okay, now this is not, I realize, high enough, but, but it's an illustration. Okay, he's above everybody and everything. Here's Jesus, way up here, equal to God, with all the authority and all of the glory of God. And yet here's what he did. It says he emptied himself. He didn't regard equality with God, the status, as a thing to be grasped, right? So he emptied himself. And it says he took the form of a bondservant or a slave. Think about John 13. Here's Jesus sitting in glory, right? In, In the glory of the heavens. He climbs down from that place. And it says he takes the form of a doulos. John 13, what does Jesus do? He kneels before his disciples, right? And he grabs a towel and he washes their feet. He takes the attitude and the stance of a slave. And you go, man, that's, that's as low as you can go, right? That's as low as you can go. But it's not, right? So here's Jesus on the ground in the attitude of a slave. And you know what, Paul, he goes on and he says, and having been found in the likeness of a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross or even a cross death. Jesus went not only to the ground, he went below the ground to die in the most shameful way you can imagine. Scholar F.F. Bruce says that the cross was not mentioned in polite society because it was the most shameful type of death. The Romans didn't talk about it. So Jesus goes from up here as low as he can go. People don't do that. Nobody who has that kind of power and authority and status willingly lays it down. My wife and I flew last weekend on a, on a short vacation up to the Northeast, up to Maine. And uh, every time I fly, I always think modern commercial aircraft flight is a living illustration of a status-based society. Because you stand in the line and and they say, okay, if you are of this status, right, your premier gold, platinum, elite, kingship, lordly status, you may board. And then the silver, gold, premier, elite, kingship, lordly status may board. And then the bronze. And then the tin. Right, and they go through 15 statuses and then that's where I am. And now the peasants. You may board the plane if there's anything left. If there's any seats left, we'll let you get on the plane, right? So, so I, I've always thought, if I were one of these folks up here, would I give up my spot for one of these folks down here? No, you're crazy. People don't do that. Right? I, I read an article, though, a few, a few years ago about the actress Amy Adams, famous actress that had a first-class seat, and she saw a soldier come into the plane, and she gave up her first-class seat for him. And went and sat in coach. I thought, man, that's, that's really astounding. People don't often do that, do they? But what if she gave up her first class seat for a criminal? What if she gave up her first class seat for somebody who had hurt her? That's what Jesus did from the highest status in the universe to the lowest position possible for us. And Paul goes on and he says what? Therefore, God 
highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says God highly exalted him. This is one word in the original Greek language. It means to super exalt. Paul does this a lot. So he'll have a word. It'll be like, there's a lot of something. It abounds. It super abounds. God exalted him. Paul says, how do I say what I'm trying to say? He super duper exalted him. So that what happens is Jesus is down here under the ground and God raises him up and God says, in validation, Jesus, of what you've done, climb on back up the ladder. And so he says he exalts Jesus back to the highest place in all of the universe. Why? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will do what? Will bow down and declare Jesus as Lord. From the lowest, from the highest to the lowest, back to the highest place in the universe. And Paul says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. But I'm the boss. But I'm educated. But I'm important. I'm the dad. But I deserve. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. As we close the sermon, I want us to think for just a minute, what are some of the rights that we hold on to? I was thinking about this this week for myself. What are some of those things that, I, that, that make me angry when people try to take it away? Let me, just, let me just offer a few. I have the right to be served. I have the right to good service. I have the right for you to think about my needs and anticipate them. I have the right to control, uh, there we go, I have the right to control my own time. I have the right to control my time. So confession, this past week I, I got back from our short vacation and, and I was out on Monday, got back in the office on Tuesday and I was feeling stressed a little bit about preaching this passage because it's so important to think about humility. And then I had to go to a meeting on Tuesday morning for two hours and, and somebody else was controlling my time and I just kept thinking, I've got to get out of this meeting. I have to teach about serving people. They're taking my time. I have the right to be appreciated. So you, you come home and you see some dishes in the sink. Your spouse didn't do them. The kids sure didn't do them. They've been there for a while. It's finally at that point you can't ignore them anymore. The house is starting to carry a aroma. So you wash them and you get everything sparkly clean and you think, I, I, I served, I did it. And they come in and nobody says anything. And as, as the, the, the meal you're eating go, goes on and on, you begin to get angrier and angrier. Anybody notice anything, you think? And they don't. They don't notice anything. Is your hair different? Right? Wearing a different shirt? And you think, just say thank you. I did the dishes. Do I have a right to be appreciated? 
to be served, to control my time, to be appreciated, to be heard. I have a right to speak uninterrupted and you have to listen to me. I have a right to present my side of the story and you have to listen to me. I have the right for somebody else to seek my forgiveness because they were wrong. I I wasn't wrong. They were wrong. And they need to come first. I have the right for the church to meet my needs. I have the right for my spouse to meet my needs. Paul says, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. That type of attitude is how we reflect our Savior. When I say, I will defer what I believe I'm due for the sake of the gospel. More of you, less of me. More of you, less of me. So the world can see the power of the Holy Spirit to transform people who trust in Jesus. We're going to celebrate communion as we close. As the band comes up, as as the men come forward, let me just uh, make a comment about what we're celebrating this morning. Communion is an opportunity for us on a regular basis to remember exactly what Jesus did to remember his death and proclaim his death until the day he comes, that Jesus came from the highest place to the lowest possible place, death on a cross on our behalf. And so we celebrate communion this morning together. Communion means we do this in unity together to say we keep Jesus at the center of our vision because we set aside our selfishness for the sake of proclaiming Jesus Christ. So meditate on Christ this morning as the elements come forward and we prepare for communion. First Corinthians 11, verse 23. Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we praise you because you gave your son for us who came from the highest place and willingly went to the lowest place of death for us so we could have life. Father, I pray if there are any in the room this morning who don't yet know you through Jesus that they would believe in Jesus today having seen what he did. I pray you would conform us to the attitude of Jesus Christ, his selflessness and humility through the power of your spirit. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, together, let's stand. Let's respond through song.